All right, we're back, and this week we are just two Aussies. And uh, Quentin, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, going back to work tomorrow. Uh, gonna feel weird to actually like work after not working for the last like two weeks. But uh, yeah, I'm kind of like mental, mentally preparing for that. Uh, the NBA playoffs starting soon, so that's my favorite time of the year, and I'm looking forward to that. But we got to talk about wrestling, so of course we do. Um, that's you know, the most important thing. I'm uh, maybe gonna take a vacation week here in a little bit, but I'm like questioning if I'm gonna end up actually even doing it or not. Um, trying to figure some stuff out. There's a there's an interesting wrestling show going on uh, in the Pacific Northwest around the same time, so I'm like, oh, maybe I can take a trip up there and uh, and go to that. The uh, that Cascadia Cup. Have you seen that? It's got like Nicole and uh, Makabe and a couple other interesting no, wrestlers from up there. No, I didn't, but it sounds cool. Um, forgot to mention, I also got a, I got a tattoo uh, over the weekend. Uh, got my, um, I guess basically my shin done. Got my shin done, and in my head when I was going to the shop, I was thinking like, oh, they're gonna go on my calf, right? You know, I was thinking, like, what would the pain of a calf tattoo feel like? And then we get there, my artist, she's like, you know, it's better for this because it's a it's a long character tattoo. And she was like, it'd be better if you do it in the front. So I'm like, okay, cool. But in my head, I'm like, fuck. Like, I was not prepared to get my shin tattoo today. Honestly, was not that bad. Like, I'm thinking about, like, the leg tattoo I got earlier back in January. And this one. Like, this one hurts significantly less like to the point where like it's been days this isn't sore to me at all and even getting it did not bother me at all but it's surprising the fuck out of me because i was like so afraid of what a shin tattoo would feel like and like nah this is really not bad that's uh yeah that's that's good i've always i've heard some people say it's pretty bad uh on the shin there but i've also seen friends of mine get them and say no problem so uh, yeah like it, it was like my artist was telling me like the area around the shin hurts more than actual shin itself ah, which like when i was getting the uh other tattoo which is on like, the outside the outside of my leg um like there are bits of that that hurt and when she was getting more towards like around the shin that hurt that you know that that was that was bothering that was bothering me a bit but like the actual like being on the bone this time, yeah, it was really not too bad. Re- not, yeah, not 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 much of an issue at all. I was really surprised. Huh. Um, I don't know <laughs> how much of the news and stuff uh, you still even care about talking about. I think us kind of pushing this back a couple days from when we were going to record changes one thing, but. One thing is definitely right. Obviously, Cody Rhodes not winning the title and specifically uh, a video that that you seem to infect the Slack chat with um, from someone who we've actually talked about in the past and your history with it following them. But I don't know if you still or if you want to even talk about that on the podcast. I mean, like it was just really fucking weird. Like, yeah, to like his whole thing and brand being like a black wrestling commentator or a black wrestling pundit or figure and to make light of it for a wrestling story that involves a white man is really fucking weird. 
Um, yeah, man, that was strange, but like he's a he's a grifter, and those type of grifters like oh you know find a way to like then turn it into shit that's making fun of the people they supposedly care about. So, uh, but yeah, that video was really fucking weird. I don't even want to say what it was because yeah. <laughs> it's just like uh, it's just the worst shit. But well, not, not, okay. it, it, it didn't it didn't surprise me because like that's him. We've done that before. We're just like wow, that's just like a really new low. <laughs> it's a really new low there. Yeah, it was pretty shocking. Um, do, so do you think do you think it's a a satire? Do you think it's meant to be a joke? Because no, no, I feel like it, no, no, I don't. I don't think that was satire. Okay, because one issue that I have with it, and again, like you know, maybe maybe sometimes I speak when I you know it's I'm, it's not my turn, but one issue I see is like equating Cody Rhodes to blackness that way, you know, past all the history of his family and all that stuff that you already mentioned is like using it in the context of basically like anybody who's not super familiar with the culture who happens across that. And I guess he can try to push to say like, this is not meant for those people, but I think it's really easy to, to look at that video and see that like trying to say like this failure makes Cody Rhodes black just feels like all it does is accentuate the idea that, that to be black is just suffering. Right. And I think that that minimizes black existence and black culture as a whole. Like, am I wrong to see it that way? Like I get, not like getting over, you know, I'm not saying get over it, move on. That stuff doesn't exist. But I think that like saying like all a white man needs to do is not get their way and have a hard time. And then that makes them black. And it feels oh. like the same concept that someone like Dusty Rhodes used to be like why his persona was like, oh, I'm like you because I suffer too. And not talk about all of the rest of the cultural aspects that you're missing. Uh, Basically, basically yeah. Like the fact that He's equating to just like you got passed over for somebody else, uh, rightfully or wrongful, right, rightfully or wrongfully, like makes 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 you black is again just weird. And even if we want to take it beyond that stuff, he just kind of like said like factually like incorrect information. Like he was trying to say you know even like like he tried he was trying to say like that John Cena was the last like universally loved like kind of like forced or pushed baby face in wwe and like even that's just not true like <laughs> like like there's plenty of stuff in 2005 yeah. where people weren't really into cena when that was going on so like that's just not true and yeah man i don't know it was it was odd but it was funny <laughs> to sit there and like watch that and i, and I thought cody should have won i thought i think this roman thing is weird to me in the way in which is basically like the Brock stuff where I don't understand the desire to have a guy beat the whole roster and in, in the plan being to have a part-time guy be the one that beats him like maybe that draws a big gate or or, or, or a big live crowd sure but like long term for your company why would you not want to have that be someone that's going to stick around and be in your company for the next however many years, be on your be on your TV, be, do whatever. Like it's what it's like when uh it's like when Goldberg beat Brock. And it's like, yeah, like Goldberg, like Goldberg's reign wasn't that long. I understand that. But Brock just wasn't losing. Why was Goldberg the one to do that? It's kind of weird. And eventually, like Seth Rollins gets a rub gets a rub over Brock Lesnar, but you but you watched the match. It was like that at that point in time, and even still now, people have to beat Brock Lesnar by hitting a bunch of low blows on him and shit like that. Like, yeah, like no one actually like really got a benefit 
from beating from beating Brock. And I don't think Roman's quite there yet. You know, like we'll have to see what what it looks like when someone actually beats Roman. But it's getting to, it's getting to that point where it's like, what's like if if this isn't to build up a new star, then I don't really understand what's happening here. So like. From that perspective, I understood why the why the Cody stuff was frustrating, but to take it in the direction that he took it in was just weird. But it gets even funnier when you like have the Sonata thing that was going on yeah. con- um, concurrently with New Japan and doing and like you know complete completing the story and finishing the story. Sonata couldn't beat Okada this whole this whole time in a big match, uh, falling up short in G ones, leaves Los Angeles to Japan, finds a make, makes his own group, finishes the story of Sakura Genesis. You know, after we after we had this whole doom and gloom rant about about New Japan and their future, they finally pushed Sonata, and it's like, oh, like even if New Japan isn't like in their best state right now, they still did the booking thing that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely they at least pulled the trigger when they really had to, and even if you don't, if you're not in love with the with the presentation and the whole thing, or even the wrestler himself, it was like. It was time to do it. It really, it had to be done. It was this or 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 nothing because you didn't really have anybody else ready. And uh, that's the same thing here with the Cody thing. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I really don't know what the next move is that makes any logical sense. But but you've got the reports coming out to say like this was always the plan. Cody was always going to lose. It wasn't a change because of any of the other stuff that's going on. Um, oh oh, so. Uh... Again, sorry, this Cody news is old. Might be Cody. Cody thing might be old news for you guys. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but sure. like my favorite thing for the people that did defend Roman winning is now we have a reason to root for Cody. Cody's whole thing since coming back to WWE is like already a perfect story. Yeah, like you already have more than enough reason for him. He was Cody Rhodes, son of Dusty, the guy that never got a shake in WWE, was made to be embarrassed. Cody then Cody then. Never got pushed, whatever in whatever way people want him to. People thought he should be pushed. Becomes gold dust. I mean, stardust leaves. Uh, gets himself over. Makes the biggest wrestling alternative since WCW, and then comes back. That's already the story. Like I don't like I don't know this idea that like yeah now we're really gonna root for Cody. Like the fuck are you talking about? The last yeah six, the last six or seven years already was already the work that, that it happened already. Yeah, that's insane cope. I mean, the guy was already insanely over and people were already rooting for him. So much so that like most people are shocked and I I for one was not shocked. And I I don't even argue my argument was never Cody shouldn't win. My argument from the beginning was I don't think Cody is going to win. And I did mention that cuz I think it could get overlooked because the way I framed it most of the time was I just kept saying Roman's going to break Bruno's record. Like they're going to go for the thousand days, it, even if not completely. He's going to, he's going to beat the 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 one of his reigns, not his longer reign, but the second reign. Um, and like, what what I clearly meant by that was like he's not dropping the fucking title. <laughs> like it's just not happening. It's not happening to Cody. It's not happening to Sammy. Even if I don't agree with it, and I never did agree with it, and I think that he does need to lose it. Like he should have lost it there. Now that he hasn't, I really don't see a point. There isn't anything else that makes sense. So really, it's just like the the it would literally be the stupidest possible thing now to just wait a couple months and then put it on Sammy. Like it's you fucking miss the boat. Don't waste it now. But that's what they're going to do, because that's how this company works. Like what they're going to end up doing now is just picking 
a really stupid time to do it instead of just doing it when it made sense. Yeah, I um, it's a really, we leave it all a little out here. It doesn't make sense, and then the idea that like like they're still waiting for the fucking rock to have some time to want to come back and do this is, I I, I don't understand it, man. I really just don't understand how these things work or why they do things this way. Cause you know, I get it. Like theoretically you kind of have like limited Roman time left already. Like Roman's already like dealt with, dealt, dealt with the cancer. He's already part, he's already like a working a part-time sort of schedule yeah. anyway, not really work, working the TV in terms of like wrestling, but he's doing promos and stuff. I understand that. Like there's stuff going on there and you're just not doing anything in the way to like build anybody. And this is just how they operate. So maybe I maybe like I'm so I'm not like all the way shocked, but it's just like man, like you guys just like have like just refused to do anything helpful for you, helpful to towards yourselves. And I can't imagine the under endeavor gets any better. Yeah, no, no, and that was that was the next thing I was going to mention, like this merger and the endeavor thing. It's obviously there's tons of intrigue, and people have talked it to death. I think at this point, but uh, it is interesting to see UFC. And WWE under one umbrella with Vince technically above Dana now in the hierarchy of things. Vince, Vince, Vince basically back to running creative. Yeah, basically. Um, and just going to they're going to just slow play. They're just going to continue to do what they've been doing, which is slow playing it and pretending like he's not. And having Triple H basically be the face of trying to tell everybody that, oh, everything is still going to be good when it you can fucking see it if you're watching. Right. If you're paying attention. It sounds like Vince is back and he's in control with things changing and the show's not being good and everything instantly. So, yeah, I mean, just ride it out. And I guess it doesn't really matter um, because there's tons of people who still just watch it. And it's again, it's, you know, it's part of the thing that they have to keep in mind is we all know this, but there's also like this insulated segment of people who have no fucking clue, like. One of my wife's coworkers now, I guess, is like a WWE fan, kind of stand up for WWE person. And like when she asked when she asked them about uh, WrestleMania weekend, it was like, oh, yeah, I saw I watched some of WrestleMania. Right. And that's it. Like, that's all this person thought about, knew about or cared about. None of the other stuff matters at all to them, even slightly. Right. So it's like those people are out there and they're not really on Twitter and they don't really care about all this other stuff they just care like about wwe it's the weirdest thing because it's like what do you enjoy about this show but it's it's passive just like any other reality tv show i think for them so we're like they're not invested in the storylines and if the stuff makes sense and all this they're just like they tune in they see dominic mysterio come out of auschwitz and that's all they want to see you know yeah i just i think for me the most like the thing i'm most intrigued by is the contracts because like now that like obviously WWE pivoted pivoted away from like the big indie signing sprees, but like the type of contracts that like they might see not see value in because that's a thing Endeavor is known for is like you know people have been talking about Drew McIntyre and Drew McIntyre has, has had other things going on, being sick and stuff, and like do they look at like a Drew McIntyre contract and like in like the re-signings of people like Bray and Strowman and shit like that, and like are kind of like yeah, never mind on some of those guys. Yeah, and McIntyre, I mean, I tweeted this out and like it'll play into some of the New Japan conversation with the 10 year anniversary. But McIntyre is the perfect guy to take over Bullet Club right now. Like if his contract is up, I I mean, I don't see 
why New Japan wouldn't throw as much money as they could to him and bring him in to take care of this because I don't see this David Finley thing working. Like it's just, I don't think he can be the leader. And I mean, they're not really even saying he's the leader, right? And if the timing works out, like yeah, I mean, McIntyre is the perfect guy, and then he can do some AEW and be the focus of that. I think that would be huge for them. I honestly think he'd be perfect for that. Um, so yeah, it's like WWE is not going to do anything with him. He's already proven that he's committed to wrestling. We've already seen this from him. So he's not going to just slink away and stop wrestling. And he's not going to just take whatever contract they're going to give him or whatever. Like he came in, he got his run to the title. The pandemic fucked everything up. And I think that he probably sees like, there's not going to be a second bite at the apple. There's no point in me sitting around, sticking around here. You know what I mean? Yeah. And no, just, I definitely see that. I definitely see that. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't seem like the type who's he's not there just to cash a check, right? So like those kind of guys are going to become a problem because it's like the FTR thing. Like when they got into the bidding war and the amount of money that they were offering them, and they were just saying no thanks. Like, I don't even think we get to that point anymore. Like you're talking about Endeavor and the way that they run UFC. They're really like, and you know, Dana obviously is the face of it with the attitude and the way he treats people, but they're not interested. They let John Jones sit on the show for how long because he wanted to co-promote, and they were yeah, like, "Fuck that." Yeah, you know, we obviously we just saw that we just, we've been watching the Francis and Gano thing play out. It was like, right on what on what planet would you not pay like heavyweight heavyweight combat sports draws? And we've seen that like smaller weight classes can draw, like you know, like flow like the Floyds and Canelo Alvarez's and all that. Like in boxing can draw, so we've seen that. But like. There's a specific market that like heavyweight combat sports is always going to draw, and you have like the biggest potential one in the world on your hands, and you're just like, no, don't want to pay them. Like that's just how they do things. Exactly. No one's going to be, no one's going to be worth it for them to break the business model, and they've shown that. And I just think WWE, it's not going to be the same, but it's going to be. You're not going to see those back and forth. You're going to see. Guys ask for their release. Guys play hardball about wanting more money, and it's going to be like, all right, fuck it, go. Unless you're Roman, Brock, and that's it, really. <laughs> like, anybody else, and both those guys, I mean, really, how much longer do they even need them? Like, Brock is such an interesting one, because you're kind of like, is it the infatuation with him, and it's not even, how much is he really a draw? How much is he really doing for you? And how much of is it is it that you just feel he's like, more dangerous to you outside of your company. Because imagine somebody who knows how to book gets their hands on Brock and does something actually entertaining with him, right? That's where I think that's the scary thing for for WWE more than like than actually uh you know using him well. Cause like, yeah, I mean, I I still hear people who you would think are like smart wrestling fans and get it for the most part on everything else. But when they talk about Brock, they have like a different concept. But like I said, the numbers don't really show. So, I mean, yeah, the second that someone actually figures out a way to harness that, that like Brock is special thing to actually make some money, then it's a, a fucking whole new ballgame. That is a good point, too. It's like, because if Brock isn't the guy anymore, if they've gone full, full, full scene ahead with Roman and the belts are still connected, then what is the use of Brock? It's <laughs> a really good, that's a really good point. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I think that I think to them, they're just scared about what he does outside of WWE more than anything, uh, which I mean, fair enough. Like, I don't know if Tony could get his hands on Brock. I mean, he could do something with him. I think it's very possible you could actually do something with a guy like that. It'd be 
fucking hard. It'd be very difficult, but you can make something out of that, you know, because yeah, he's got something special that certain that speaks to a certain fan base where like they're always going to be excited by him. And uh, yeah, I think that, you know, just showing up every couple of months and how repetitive and all that has kind of zonked any of his box office, but people still get excited about him. Like, People love the WrestleMania match and people are you know going crazy for that and all that. So either way, um, I don't know. I feel I feel weird, like did, I don't know, derailed this or whatever. Do you have any other thoughts on this? I don't even know what this is. Like WWE I mean, news. I mean, I mean WrestleMania. I mean I mean, I guess we have to talk about Jay White. Sure. Um, well, I guess before WrestleMania I, I, I just throw out WrestleMania. Um whatever, I guess. Cammy, what are they even? <laughs> Stinerico, uh versus the Usos. Is that the greatest uh, tag team match in the history of WWE or whatever? I didn't even watch it. Yeah, no, I haven't, I haven't, I haven't seen. It. I, haven't, I haven't seen it either. I haven't gone back and watched like the stuff I want to see, like yeah. Rhea versus Charlotte and Oscar versus Bianca. Like I haven't gone back. Literally, only saw Roman and Cody. Yeah, I just this is another one. Haven't seen the match. Don't want to say one hundred percent this, but like. It's another one of these hyperbole machine things that seems insane because I'm just like there. I think it's almost impossible that that would even be the best Stinerico tag team match, let alone you know the greatest tag team match of all time or whatever people are. Saying. I mean, I mean, I haven't seen it yet, but there's a chance that when I see it, I might not even think it's the best Usos match. So sure, yeah, exactly. So yeah, just uh, depressing that people have to say that no matter what. I mean, you know, good for them winning the tag team titles. That's cool. In in Los Angeles, I think is cool. I, I saw someone kind of questioning that, like. Isn't this just like Craven? How is this like something special? And I'm like, well, it is kind of special that it happened to happen in L.A. Just because that L.A. and PWG market was the first kind of home away from home for those guys where like a scene really adopted them and made them their own and like demanded that they be treated like top stars. And so for them to get to come back and basically have the same situation happen again, but, you know in a big, much bigger company at the world stage and it gets to happen in LA again. That's, it is special. It is like, and it's just special in a, that's a coincidence kind of way. You know what I mean? So that's just kind of neat. Um, so yeah, I, I definitely, I thought that that was cool. Um, but yeah, you mentioned Jay and the 10 years of bullet club. I just recently heard people talking about this. I guess that's the, the big thing. The bullet club anniversary is coming up and, and very weird, right? I mean, the way that Jay, left was that was not the way that the bullet club leader has been you know has left the company historically or you know left the the group historically um but it's also like who is the leader with the splinter factions and the bullet club wars and there being bullet clubs in five different companies but, or so, but, to, say, but to say like jay is still representing bullet club like <laughs> right and the fact that jay shows up you know and is still representing bullet club now in AEW, like, is he still the leader of Bullet Club? Is he even still in Bullet Club? Like, that's kind of a weird retcon thing, right? Because it was almost like Finley, when Finley attacked him, it felt like it was supposed to be not that he was in Bullet Club, right? But then now it feels like he is. I don't fucking know. But anyway, what were your thoughts when you brought up Jay there? I mean, nothing. Just that it was interesting that uh that there was this thing going on and it seemed like jay the wwe was the thing and now i don't know if it was a thing like catching wind of the sale that was of the, of the sale that was imminent of vince because of vince coming back and getting more 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 into power like just kind of like wondering what was the thing that 
kept Jay White away from WWE. Yeah, it is interesting. It feels like it's got to be the Vince. I mean, the Vince and the sale is all the same part of the same thing, right? It's like, but it feels like that's got to be it. Like, just not interested in that. I mean, the Endeavor thing is kind of interesting because what does that mean for the future of WWE, even when it comes to like, where are they based out of? Right. And that's another part of it. Like, you know, AEW does tour all around, but you can still say that they're based out of Jacksonville, Florida, right? It's kind of the thing because of, you know, the, the Jaguars and all that stuff. And Jay, I think if I believe correctly, does live in Florida, right? So I think he was probably interested in WWE because it's like Florida, you know, East Coast base, all that. Um, and he wanted to to kind of do that. And now it's like Endeavor. What does this mean for the future of the company? Really? Um, not that, you know, that's like the end of the world, the biggest thing, but it is like when a big part of the reason why you're leaving New Japan is because you don't want to deal with being away from home so much. And it was like a big part of how all this drama started during the pandemic and everything and all these issues um, that you do think about that. And with Endeavor saying, like, even though they were not wanting to work with the Saudis uh, with UFC before, now that WWE, I think that there was something where Ari Emanuel said, like, well, now the door's open, like maybe we'll be open to doing UFC, do, like having a relationship with them, right? So it's almost like, okay, well, it's even more feed in on this and it's going to just be more all over the world and doing all this weirdness. So maybe that maybe that's part of it for Jay. You, you kind of get what I'm saying there. No, I, no, I do. I was just like, like, not that me and you ever thought he had much of a future in WWE. It's just that now going to AEW, you're looking at everything, it's like, MJF, Adam Cole, these type of guys. It's like, okay, so like, what's his lane lane there as well? So, I'm just curious because I know that we both love Jay. We both think Jay's immensely talented. I think we both think Jay's better than Adam Cole. And like, uh, I mean, do do we think Jay's better than MJF? Like, I think so, right? Uh, in some ways, in a lot of ways, yes. As a wrestler, for sure. Um, you know, I was gonna say promos. People really love Jay yeah, White yeah, promos. I'll, I'll, I'll say that like we haven't seen like right. Jay White do the kind do, do the kind of like TV segment carrying promo that like MJF has, right? right? But like as a wrestler, I think Jay White's better than MJF, and I feel like the promo gap isn't like super out of this world either. So like, I'm just it, it, it definitely just on my mind. Like, yeah, like. Where exactly does he fit in here? Is he gonna be a top of the card guy? He didn't really debut in a top of the card fashion. Granted, it was in an angle involving Ricky Starks, and Ricky's an upper mid, upper mid, upper, upper mid card guy. So maybe, but still, it's just like I don't really know where I see Jay. But you know, like I like Jay. Obviously, I think he's really, really great, and I want him to succeed and get you to the best of best of his abilities. But yeah, that was um. I don't know. I'm just really fascinated as to see like what's going to be next for Jay White this year. Yeah, I mean, he feels like a sky's the limit kind of guy. It feels like a ready-made setup rivalry with with another guy that is clearly an important like character to to Tony and Adam Cole. It feels like a Jay White Adam Cole feud has been kind of teased for a long time, and they've had some interactions here and there, but never gone long term with it. And it feels like that would actually be 
pretty good, especially because it's something that can develop back and forth with both guys switching from heel and babyface um, and continuing to have a rivalry. So, again, you talk about MJF, and I mean, I just, you know, it's tough to say this because you talked about Ricky Starks and just the upper mid card when, like, just a couple months ago, he felt like he should be on top of the fucking world in this company, and now he's upper mid card feuding with Juice Robinson, and it feels like a downgrade for Jay White to, but. But part of the thing, too, is like this MJF title run feels like a flop. Am I like fucking crazy to say that? Like, I just I don't think he's delivered at the level that you were hoping for with him being the top guy in the company. It's just I don't know if it's quite been there. Like, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't know if you've been watching the segments and the stuff on TV, like the pay-per-view matches, the pay-per-view match with Danielson was good and. And like, that's about it. Like, I don't know. Nothing else is really working as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um. I don't know. It's really weird. Their choice of everything is really weird. Like, especially to bring back the four pillars thing is strange, man. Like, I'm not. I, I'm, like, I'm just kind of missing it. I'm not really understanding it. Um. And. I don't know. Like obviously, like I think you want to buy time for until um until all until all out, which like I do th- feel like that should be MJF versus Hangman, but I don't know. It could potentially not be. That could be like MJF versus Kenny or right. something like or, or something like that. So I don't. So I don't know. But yeah, this this reign has been really really weird from from MJF on TV. I'm not sure what's missing or what's lacking here. But I'm oh yeah, I'm not I'm not into it either. Yeah, and I mean it's it's kind of close to what I, you know, fantasy booked coming out of the Danielson match where I talked about like MJF feuding with Jungle Boy next and then getting to Omega for the pay-per-view, and instead of Jungle Boy, it's the four pillars thing. But it has in some ways kind of felt like Jungle Boy has been the focus of the pillars, the one who's the most like feuding with him, even if the other guys like show up at, like in the segments as well, like Jungle Boy is the most heat the most like kind of, you know, actually physically engaging and stuff like that. So um, it is kind of like, yeah, what's going on there? And then it does. One of the weirdest parts of the whole thing is like, okay, they've got this big Wembley show that they announced now, um, which they're going to do all all in and then all out like the same week or the next week or whatever. Um, And like I see people talking about, oh, how are you going to sell out this big stadium? What are you going to do? Dream that. And everything I see people talk about is like dream matches with Omega, Osprey, you know, Danielson, CM Punk coming back. I don't hear anybody talking about MJF. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like when people talk yeah. about, oh, what's going to sell out this arena? They're not talking about what's the world champions match going to be to help sell out this arena. And that's what I just point to where I say, like, this thing is not working because a part of him being the top champ should be like, yeah, like saying like, oh, he's going to draw uh, this crowd. And it just doesn't feel like it. That's no one sees it that way. Yeah, no, I I agree. I'm not sure what is missing there because, like, you had to match with Daniel said, and, and you feel and you feel like maybe like maybe it is that last thing that that's needed is. I mean, because the Danielson thing wasn't a great program. I wouldn't call it like Danielson was having really really good matches. Danielson was. A Marvel every week, every every week on TV, and he was great facing Roosh and 
Thatcher and and Takeshita and all these different guys and just being and just being Danielson. But what about it did MJF actually make so great? And it feels like MJF just hasn't had a great feud lately. And I feel like that's maybe it because we haven't had that big, awesome, like real intense MJF feud. But at the same time, like the one who should be giving him that is Hangman Page. But like for some reason, they're holding off on that and not pulling, not pulling the trigger on it. When it's like, man, like I feel like if you did Hangman and MJF right after that, I feel like Hangman Hangman is was was molten coming off coming off of that Moxley match. Yeah. So maybe it's because. The only thing I can think of, right, is that the idea is that they want Hangman to win the belt back. And you don't want to end MJF's reign so early. So you want to hold off on that because if Hang- whenever Hangman gets another shot, Hangman is going to win. So that's why I try to hold off on that and maybe do something like MJF versus M- MJF versus Kenny. But I don't know. It's going to feel like too little too late because I feel like Hangman has proven he's going to be over no matter what. We've, we've had these Hangman conversations over and over and over again. I feel like at least in AEW, Hangman has proven that he's going to be over no matter what. Right. But it does feel like if we're going to maximize MJF's time as champion, that we need to get to the blood feud. We need to get to that stuff. And like MJF versus Hangman for however many months, if it happened for six months, nine, whatever, like, you just had those guys go out there and escalate and have a reg- have a regular match, have a cage match, have a Texas death match, whatever, and you just escalate it like that, like, that's the money in AEW right now, I think, and they're just not pulling the trigger on it, which I think is going to backfire at some point. Yeah, yeah, it feels like too much stuff gets put off and put on the back burner for too long, and people disappear, and you forget about them and all that kind of stuff. That's, that's why I started out with the Ricky Starks thing. It's like, I don't want to point to any of the talent really ever and blame them when I hate to say it, but if it's, it's like the booking, it's the inconsistency. And it's, it's the shit that I've heard the fucking Tony Khan haters say over and over again and felt like, what are you guys talking about? But it's starting to really, I think ring true, like super big that like the guy just does not stay focused on anything in a way that like, maximizes anybody and we end up with just everything feeling so all over the place like what happened with swerving keith lee like this is fucking insane like keith showed back up finally and he's all gray and but swerve it's like my god like the mogul affiliate thing falls apart and then now he's like working with the embassy this is a guy that coming out of that tag team title run we me and you both said like swerve should be the top fucking heel in the company and now he's in the embassy. Now he's part of the embassy. ROH trios champions. Like what the fuck is what the fuck happened? Like it's just it's incredible. Like that is such a major flop that it's just I mean, I don't get how you ended up here. I really don't. Yeah, the the swerve one I just I, I, that's that's not really defensible to me. I feel like that one there, there's there's really really no really really not any defensible stuff there. But this was swerve. Like, yeah, I I again AEW like as far as like the TV and the product and the matches have been really good for like the last like two or three yeah. months for the most part. Like, so I can't from so from that perspective, there's not really much to say. But as far as like where we're going with things and the storytelling and what to look forward to, I don't really know what to look forward to. Right, and how much of it is the looming 
punk thing. Like, you know what I mean? How much of it is that like everything kind of feels like it can't be, it can't move forward and just be its own thing when you're constantly thinking that like punk could show back up at any moment and it just turns everything upside down. And it just, yeah, I like to me, that's like, I think a big part of it that everything feels like it's in stasis waiting to decide what's going on with him. And uh, I just think that that's like the worst possible way we can be. And I think that really like the best thing Tony could do is just say, just openly and clearly say, no, it's over. He's not coming back and that's it. And just move on because that's the only thing that you can do for sure. Like you can't basically right now, I think it would take a lot to get to a point where you can bring him back. So it's not worth it to even like talk about it or leave the door open. Like you need to just close that door and move on because that's the only way that I think people are going to stop focusing on that and thinking about that as like the next big thing that's going to come and happen at some point soon. But but I think that's because the, I think that's because the door isn't closed though. Like, like we could like, he's not going to come out and publicly do that because the door isn't closed. Like I feel like even if it wasn't to happen, like, this year or whatever they're like i don't think that means that like tony khan was to publicly come out and be like punk is never coming back here this and that like i feel like he still wants punk to come back so he's not gonna ever come out publicly and do that unless like the negotiations with punk like go sour in a in a in a really like you know blow everything up type of way but until that happens like i don't think he feels that way because he wants to bring punk back yeah yeah, no, I think that that's true. And I think that's a major issue, basically, is that I don't think that Tony can focus on doing anything else because in the back of his mind, he's still thinking about Punk's big return. Like, I really do. I think part of it, like you said, hang you want Hangman to win the title back, but I also think, well, I still want to do MJF versus Punk feud. Right? So I don't want to take the title off of MJF because of, it's like the Roman thing, waiting for The Rock to come back, right? waiting for punk to come back before you, cause you don't want to take the title off him without doing the feud. It kind of almost feels that way, which is, I mean, fucking terrible. Like it really is. It, it's, it's really hurting the company. It hurts both companies that they're basically doing the same thing, which is like focusing on trying to this one big star coming back and doing something when it seems like it's not going to happen instead of focusing on like the dozens of people that you have that are, are ready and could be big stars if you just presented them that way. But uh, <laughs> I feel like that's enough on this. I don't know if you have any other things you want to talk about on the uh, news and stuff. No, I'm good. I definitely <laughs> didn't expect to go that long on news. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I, I kind of said that we would. Yeah, yeah. I mean, unless they're, I mean, unless I mean, unless I don't, I don't think we only really got into the into the Sonata thing. No, but, guess, but, uh, but, 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 but that's that can like lead us into like. I know you didn't want you to like you watched some of Sakura Genesis. I watched some too, and I'll. I don't watch the main event. I have no time for us and not an Okada match. So like you didn't like, watch the main event. Okay. 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 Cause I thought we were gonna like review and actually talk about the main event. Uh, oh no, I no. Didn't want to talk it, about the it's it's a it's a sonata match, man. Like I was like Sure, no. sure. I watched um I watched uh Zach versus Shota Amino and I watched uh Aussie Open versus uh Yoshihashi and Horkigoto and I did see Eagles versus Hiromu. Um, okay. IWGP women's title match. Did not see. No, I didn't see that. I'm going to go back for that. But I wanted to make okay. sure that, like, I, I like, sque- I wanted to make sure I squeeze some of that in before sure. before we got before we got on here. And uh, I really wanted to see Zach versus Mino because I saw like good reviews for that. Yes. And like like everyone else has said, like 
the return for Amino so far has been kind of iffy and not great. And he has like he hasn't looked like a guy that's gonna be that could be someone that could carry the company. But that Zach match was really, really good, right? And I right. feel like like you might agree that like Zach is one of those guys that has like one of the highest floors in wrestling where it like if you can't have a great match with Zach, like a random guy being going going out there having a having a match with Zach, and if you can't go out there at least have like a three and a half star match with Zach, then like you're probably not a good wrestler. And even though I feel like Zach is one of the easiest guys to have a great match with, Shota was really good. I thought that Shota showed someone really some really tangible baby face baby face fire and charisma and the crowd was into him and the crowd did seem to be into him and liked him uh liked his selling i liked i liked his offense he has to work on the finishers um or like some of that signature offense some of that signature offense is still a little and eh, like not looking the, not looking the best i think he has to like sort, sort that out a bit but in terms of what, what it like the main things there his selling his baby face fire getting the crowd into it he was good he was good with that and Zach and Zach was and Zach was great. This is like prototypical Zach and Zach controlling the match and controlling the limb work and kicking him and getting down the stretch and we're getting more like babyface fire and kickouts at one and stuff like that that you that you're getting from those type of matches. Like I thought that it was a really solid mid card middle of, middle of the card title match that gave me more hope for Shona that maybe you don't want to fast track this thing. I understand the desire to because you kind of have to, but maybe give Shota some more time and let him work with like the likes of Zach and I don't know whoever else, but like maybe that's the kind of people he needs to be working with right now to iron that out. Like if I want someone to be built into a star, then maybe I should be like letting them wrestle with Zach Saber Jr. for a year and then and then and then come back to that. Yeah, no, I mean I agree with that and I agree with like. That Shota has really good chemistry with Zach here, like you kind of mentioned there. Like, obviously, it's another one where it's hard to say that because Zach has great chemistry with everyone. But yeah, it's like bringing it brings out something extra out of Shota that you don't necessarily even see. It's not just 100% how good Zach is. Um, another part of it, too, I mean, on this same show with the you talked about Hiromu and Eagles, like this TMDK unit is pretty fucking awesome. And it just feels like. You know, it's almost exactly what I thought or what I was kind of predicting coming out of the Suzuki Goon thing, where like it does kind of feel like TMDK is just taking the Suzuki Goon role with Zach as the leader now. They just kind of switched everything around, but it sucks because it does feel like they're being put in the position to be like have great matches with the stars kind of guys instead of, you know, I mean, yes, Zach has that title, but it's this TV title. And, you know, Eagles doesn't win here. And it kind of felt like it could have you could have easily given Eagles the title here, especially because you're going into best of the super juniors shortly. So it is kind of like. I mean. To me, it makes to me, it always makes the most sense when you're going into a tournament like this, like to put the title on somebody other than the biggest star, because then you have two main eventers throughout the tournament. Right. So it can be like on the shows where Hiromu can main event on the shows that he's on. And then the champion can main event on the other shows. Right. Like, and it makes sense that way. Um, And like, yeah, I just think Eagles would have been a perfect guy to do that with, but you know, he loses. And then I wonder where they're going to present them. You've also got, uh, you know, 
Jose Fuchida, who is like promising and bad dude Tito, who looked awesome at Bloodsport and has been looking really good lately in general. And New Japan has breathed fresh life into this guy that I've been seeing on the indies here in California for so fucking long. And you know, championship wrestling from Hollywood and stuff like, you know, it's it's great to see like this next level in his career. Um, the only real question is like the actual TMDK tag team. Like we have not seen a ton of them and just wondering how they're going to look now because they've been a bit shaky but yeah i just i hope that they actually decide to do something with this unit because obviously with the main event like it seems like just five guys is like gonna be more of a focus or something but this tmdk unit feels like they should be pushed a lot harder and really be more of more of the top kind of stable right now because they just you know obviously i mean it seems like ozzy opens kind of the top stable really in the company um but tmdk would be like kind of the foil and feuding with them i think would be would be good yeah no like, honestly like i know chaos is gonna is gonna be like oh man chaos is still chaos it's like man that's just what it is what it is at this point especially when it's like okada stable and everything like chaos is just gonna remain that for the foreseeable future still but i like i like the state of things right now honestly i like the you know get like getting tmdk and um and uh, in, in, in United Empire, and just and just five guys is still a little weird, you know. It's like so, sure. it's like still kind of still kind of a weird unit. But like I don't know, like I like the way that the that the uh, that the that the units have kind of shaken out at the moment. Like I'm I'm cool with this. Like you know, like United Empire might be full of some questionable people. Um, other than um Aussie Open, maybe maybe right. if you want to still <laughs> if, you, if you still if you still want to defend them, I don't know. But um, like. That's a, it's, it's just a state. It's just a unit of really good wrestlers, man. Like, like, like those, yeah. like those guys, no matter what, if you like what any of those unit matches are just really good. Yeah. Yeah. I guess the shakeup is pretty good. The biggest issue again is like the bullet club thing. What the fuck is going on there? And it's crazy to think that bullet club is 10 year anniversary of bullet club, 10 years of this fucking bullet club thing. Like it just seems very odd to me that, that that's still around. It really feels like, they should just get rid of it if we're being perfectly honest. But I guess, I guess that's not going to, that's probably not going to happen anytime soon. Yeah. I mean, um, like, like I, said, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know who's still in, who's still, who's still in, uh, who's still into the bullet club. Like, I don't know anyone who still does that. Like, I'm not sure if they still do a ton of merch sales in Japan or still do a ton of merch sales in the U S and Europe. I don't know. Like maybe, they, maybe, maybe they do. They probably do. But like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. For sure. It's uh it's who knows, who knows. But uh but yeah, Zach and, and Umeno was really good. Um you mentioned you saw Ozzy open and uh Bishimon as well, correct? Yeah, I did. Yeah, I did. Um, um that was no that was that was good and, and like really really warm my heart to see because one, I was like, oh man, I actually like really good tag match in New Japan heavyweight tag match in New Japan. Like this is yeah, this is this is cool. And it was just like, man, like this is just what we kind of been waiting for. Is this just let those guys go to Japan, let those guys have a shot with people in the crowd, and they and they did exactly what I thought they would. They had people that that crowd was really into that match. They were really really into it, and they let they have they like granted it's a title change and and crowds always pop for title changes. But the crowd looks seem to be really into really into seeing uh seeing seeing Aussie Open win the titles, and that I was I was really I was really glad to see that. Um, I like the accidental blood from uh from Kyle there really early on in the match too. I forget I forget what exactly cut him open, but it was like 
immediately I just look up and like, oh yeah, Kyle's head is wrapped. Um, but yeah, honestly, more and more when I see these when I see these guys uh, in New Japan, it just becomes so clear that Mark Davis has so much potential to be like the next big breakout guy. It's like so abundantly clear that if you give him the, if you put him in the right block in G one, or if people are interested in making this happen, if you like do Mark versus Osprey, if you like do Mark versus Shingo, if you do those things and put him in, put him in those spots, that he could really be a big breakout G one guy. If you if you run back Mark Davis Mark Davis versus Zach, uh, in a in G one. I've, I truly I truly believe that if you put Mark in the right block, he could come away being like the next big singles guy. Oh yeah, no. I mean Kyle as well, really. I mean, this match I think really did a lot to help um put him back into the contention and really make them feel like, you know, they could be neck and neck when it comes to that again as well, just because um it did feel like the be- or the the New Japan Cup kind of the way that things shook out and the way that Mark Davis got kind of slotted into Osprey's role and then absolutely destroyed it made it feel like he was, you know, his stock had risen up, but Kyle getting busted open and, and wrapping up the head and bleeding all over the place in the, in the match where they win the tag team titles. I think just, even if you know that it, that's just, you know, all it is is him getting, I think it was a dive, like catching a dive that busted him open. But, uh, you know, that's all that is. It's still just, it helps raise that stock, you know? And, and I mean, it's Kyle. He's great. And he looked great in here. And he he brought the fire after getting, you know, injured, which I think is always a good thing to do, especially if you're going to do that, where you're going to wrap it up and come back in. It's like valiantly fighting back. Like you're, you know, a world beater coming back from, from weakness or whatever I think is great. So, I mean, yeah, I'm with you that like, this was what it feels like we've been waiting for for way too long. All those years ago, seeing these guys, you know, beating Bolarama and CCK and winning the tag team titles in like their second or third match as a team. Um, just so, so impressive to like all these years later. It's like feels like a totally different team. It really feels like totally different guys the way that they've developed into something different. But uh, you still can see some of that there, you know, some of that uh, that early those early signs of of this really great tag team and what they've developed into is really fucking cool. Um so yeah, it's just it's just a matter of what they do and how they focus with them because they could be either one of these guys could break out and be big time stars. But yeah, Davis. I mean, when it comes down to just the wrestling, like yeah, Davis is absolutely incredible and has been for way too fucking long. And it's just it's nice to see him finally getting his getting his due. And goddamn, isn't it? It's still so fucking crazy. Like a thrown together tag team of you know this one really great wrestler and this rookie, this brand new guy has developed and became like this. And it's just, it's, it's awesome to have seen it come from the beginning until now. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Really? That, I think that's the, that, that's the thing here is just like being guys that were like there for the beginning of all of this. is just like a, it's a grat it's a grat it's a gratifying thing, but also just kind of like, I told you so it's like, man, like this is like four years in the making basically like four, like four or five years. Like just, if you give those guys a chance on, that platform that big of a stage like they're gonna do it they're gonna they're 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 gonna like be automatically put into those best tag team in the world conversations and like yeah i'm i'm really i'm really happy for those guys i really was really happy to see that because like man like this you know we got we called that one a long time ago yeah well it's just nuts how good they were from the second that they they teamed up they were just phenomenal and then they had that little lull in the middle where it was like oh this is it's 
kind of stale just because every match feels the same, even though it's still great. Mm. It's just nothing is standing out. And then like they just completely flip the script and, you know, Kyle gets on the food and, and bulks up and then Davis just turns it up to 11 with the heel turn and schadenfreude and, and kind of becoming a whole new thing. And like, it's just completely revitalized them. And it's just like, okay, like this fucking rules, this team grew up and they didn't just like stick with like doing almost like, you know, motor city machine gun, young bucks cosplay forever and, and never develop once it got stale. No, they like, they took it to the next level. Um, I guess follow this up, Hiromu and Eagles. I this I fucking loved. I fucking this is was so goddamn good. I talked about Eagles already in the TMDK thing. I mean, Eagles and the leg work, Hiromu selling it. I mean, just fucking great stuff. I mean, you know, it's interesting because you know you could kind of say that Hiromu has a um, has a good background of working with someone kind of like this in a way because of just like the longtime rivalry with Kushida and like even though eagles is is more like thought of as more of a high flyer the way that he focuses on the on the legs and the you know the knee work bob of it of it all like it does become like uh a a story of limb work and a story of holds and and that kind of back and forth and selling and like i said that's kind of something that hiromu is good at and it's funny because yeah like i think for a very long time when you think of hiromu you think you know dragon lee obviously but when you go from that and then, yeah, like like Kushida and then now Robbie Eagles and, you know, even Ishimori in some way, like this guy is just he's has a history of doing great rivalries. The stuff that he did with evil already and then teasing coming out of this to like doing something with Sonata and the rivalry there and the rivalry he had with El Desperado, like Hiromo just amazing at just like even, having even, even Osprey like, yeah. The stuff that he has, like, just so good at having these rivalries with these people that then become, like, special and, and unique. And he's just, he's so great at that. And when he has the right opponent, someone like Eagles here, like, I think just magical stuff. Like, I I want to just be burned out on Hiromu and just be like, ah, I'm over and I'm sick of it. He, he's whatever, he's boring. But, like, no, like, he's, he's fucking great. Like, he just keeps delivering. And it, he doesn't just... I think it's really easy to go like, oh, he's just a spot guy. Like, no, like where he sings is having these long-term rivalries that like tell a story over the history of matches with the same people repeatedly. He doesn't just like, you know, have a match with them and then that's it. Like, no, it like it continues. It grows. It's a it's a true rivalry. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, no, I uh, I've always really liked Robbie and Harumbo's chemistry. So it was a really welcome return there and. Robbie's another guy where I'm just like really happy to see that he's that's like that's one where like talent and cream rising to the top like does happen because Robbie as soon as he got a chance as soon as he got it as soon as he got it in he was just kind of undeniable working through those best of the super juniors tournaments and quietly being like a really good and consistent guy and then eventually you could like maybe go through like oh like some people some people got stale some people left some people got hurt but like Throughout all of that, it was just like, no, Robbie was just been great this whole time. Just consistently really, really, really great. And Robbie was definitely a case of like chipping away and eventually just getting getting that opportunity. And as soon as he like got that, got got a foot in the door, it was hard to ever deny him. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely that's a, a big part of it. And you know, go like part of it too, like going from from being like the MVP, the secret MVP of every PWG show, because people just didn't think about it when like him and Bandito back and forth. And it is it's funny to think about that because those two were both tearing it up at the same time, even with each other in PWG. 
but you end up with Bandito being the one that kind of like everyone talks about a lot more and continues to wrestle more in America. And then Robbie goes over here to New Japan and then ends up where he's at now, which is, you know, who's to say Robbie couldn't be doing the same thing, if not better, that Bandito does, which I guess is kind of nothing because you don't even fucking see him anymore. But you get my point. Yeah, so um, I didn't watch the main event. Like I said, it's uh, sure, you're asking sure. a lot. You're asking a lot from me to uh, at this point, so, I know. Yes, asking ask, ask a lot there. So I didn't watch it. I do have the one Sonata and Okada match that made my uh, top 100 in whatever, in whatever year. So like, it's not like they haven't done it before. I just didn't have it. In, I just didn't have it in me today. But what did you think of Sonata and Okada? I wouldn't, you know. I, w- I wouldn't call it great, but it was it was one of their more serviceable matches, if I'll say that. It was one of their more it was one of their least offensive matches. And part of that is because of the Okada kind of dark edge that he's taken recently and kind of the meta narrative and the storyline that works here really well, which is that um Okada, you know, being a dismissive prick and steamrolled over Kiyomiya as like Mudo's, you know, little, little, uh, like second in command towel boy, whatever that he's treating him. It was like, oh, he just like steamrolled over him, no problem. And then he comes into here and he kind of has a similar attitude and is like really dismissive towards Sonata, someone who he has history with and not someone that like he doesn't know and shouldn't. Yeah, well, what, what, gonna... what's, the, what's the be for? He's always been dismissive of Sonata, like that's right. definitely been a thing. Like he's always had this like general dismissiveness and like always been really antagonistic towards Sonata. Yeah, so in the context of, like, that he just steamrolled over Kiyomiya, who is, you know, like, this kind of weird Mudo hanger-on, and then he comes in here with Sonata, who is another kind of Mudo, you know, hanger-on kind of guy, and he's he's kind of doing the same thing and being the same dismissive, but Sonata finds a way to overcome and shows that, like, yeah, this, like, this rechange is not just a haircut and new outfit. This is, like, a new focus, a new, a new kind of style. So, like... To me, that's better than the match itself, you know, is like the story. And in the context, it's very funny to have steamrolled the Noah, the GHC champion and then lose to Sonata and the context of them both being like Mudo lackeys. But one of them is like yours. One of them is the one that you guys have under contract. So you're even like making Sonata higher in the like kind of in the pecking order of of Mudo lackeys in that way, which I think is kind of funny. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's really, to me, that's again, it's not an offensive match when it comes to Sonata and, and, and Okada because they've had really bad matches and you know, me, I have been a major Sonata disrespecter for a long time. I've like said, I just don't like this guy at all. Like I think of Sonata and Endo in the same conversation. A lot of the times, like just guys who I just absolutely get nothing from just zero, Right. But uh, this was this was fine. And the story was good. And I'm kind of like interested to see where they go with just five guys and Sonata as champion and where this builds to. I mean, it sucks because I don't think I can take it seriously ever to be like, you know, anyone's going to really ever supplant Okada until probably another at least like five or six years. But it is kind of interesting to see like something possible. I mean, you know, Sonata has got something there and and with the new look and the new gear and everything he's definitely could looks like he could be a top guy but uh we'll see if uh if it pans out or not you know that's the, that's really the the big question um but yeah i mean otherwise like 
hear people kind of saying New Japan is back. I don't know. I definitely recommend checking out the women's title match. It was pretty impressive for Monet to be in there with them. She definitely did not. Uh, yeah, she looked. She looked. She looked good. Yeah, she looked competent in there and and did not look out of place. Uh, it was not, you know, the best of the best when it comes to like a high speed kind of match. But it's like you know not really supposed to be a high speed match, whatever. But that's what you're expecting in that match with Azumi and Hazuki, right? But yeah, um, but still, she was right there. She was not out of place, and it's. It's kind of impressive. I'm just like, okay, like, again, she hasn't missed. Like, she was just on ice because it's WWE. It's not like she couldn't do it anymore. And it's yeah, like she, she was, like, or yeah, she was if, if she was injured or anything like that. Like, 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 but, but like, like, question. What the questions were like valid. It's like, hey, like, this is a this is a lot different now. This is like a completely different thing that you're being like asked to do what we're supposed to like you know believe believe you can do so like going out there and going from wrestling um Carmela Carmela and Bianca Belair is just like a little just it's, it's a different style it's a different style but yeah like she like she was great in the Kyrie match uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna check out the Sakura Genesis match um and it seems like her and Mayu was confirmed for the April 23rd show in Stardom yes. And I'm really excited for that one. Yeah, no, that's gonna be great. Yeah, like that, that one I'm really excited for. Yeah, that's like oh, yeah. I can't I can't wait. I really can't wait because that's like obviously you know how how high I am on Mayu. And I'm just like, okay, this is like you're in there you're in there with like maybe the best person in the company. Like well, like how all out are you guys gonna go? Like what are we gonna like? What are we gonna do here? I'm really excited. Yeah, definitely, definitely, uh, an exciting matchup, and and like the like and like I said, the show seems like it's gonna be pretty good. So, oh yeah, but, gonna but, be, uh... I'm about to say like I can pull up um a lot of the, a lot of the card a lot of the car, a lot oh, of the sure, card yeah. is confirmed. Um, so we have um main event Julia versus Julia versus Tam. Yeah, we have In a non death match death match. From yeah, what I've ba- heard people describe ba- basically. it. Basically. <laughs> yeah. Uh Sai versus Mina Shirakawa. Yeah. I think it's, it might be time. For... It might yeah, be time. I think so. I think so. Mercedes Mercedes versus Mayu. Uh Shiri versus Chihiro Hashimoto. Yeah, that's gonna be fucking insane. They're gonna just kill each other. I very excited for that because C Hash has looked so goddamn good in stardom, it's out of this world. Uh, uh, prominence Haragi, um, Haragi Kurumi, Risa Sarah, Susu Suzuki versus uh, Restart, Kairi, Natsupoi, and Sari, um, Ano. Uh, oh, yeah, I, this is this is nuts because of the Sari Ano return, right? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh, Nane, Nane Taka, Takahashi, and you versus Ami Sarai and Marai. Yeah, that's a weird, that's that's a weird one, but it's gonna be pretty good. Himeka versus, Himeka versus Micah. Yeah, the like retirement. I don't know if this is the final match or or what, but it feels like it is. It's the retirement match. Yeah, that's like that's like that's the that's the big stuff on here. That's yeah, that's, no, that's a big really, show. Yeah, man, that's uh, I, I'm so excited for that. That is like legit show of the year potential. Oh yeah, everything there sounds great. I mean, there probably be some like fillery stuff on the undercard, but either way, like those big those matches all have the chance to to deliver i mean you're talking about three or four of those that could be match of the year contender level matches if they uh, hit the right 
know. Yeah, and my and my and my thing and my thing too is is like this was smart to kind of do like Mina and Tam because like there's no way Mina and Tam both lose, right? Like right, yeah. Like one like one of them has to win, and I'm pretty sure it's Mina. But like, yeah. I feel like it's like okay, like oh, like it sucks. Tam isn't gonna win, but you did what you but but you get the Mina title win. Because there's no way Mina doesn't win, right? Like, I would be, I would be like so hurt if Mina didn't win. <laughs> no, yeah, she has to win. I mean, the 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 new group, what are they called? I can't even think of it. But like, the new group has gotten over really well. Um, a uh, Venus Club, right? Yeah, and like, she's just since she's come back, the new character has been great. Like, yeah, it's they got to pull the trigger here, especially because it is time for Kamatani to either like move on or something. Like, this title reign has been good, but it's it's been. Far too long at this point. Yeah, 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 I know it's it's time for her to move on to bigger things. Yeah, I think that that makes sense. Like as far as I'm concerned, I know that maybe not everybody agrees, but I, I, I think that this title reign has been great. So, yeah, I think that it's time for her to move. Like because they're never going to truly position the white belt as the top belt, you know. Yeah, so I think that would probably be a good thing. Mina can get her moment. She she doesn't even have to help. Even doesn't even have to hold the belt super long. I think it's just like no. Mina can Mina can get her moment here. Yeah, and you could even do something like, I mean, it would be the a crazy dream, but like Suzu after her or something like that, you know? Like, oh yeah, yeah, you, yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. god, if you if you did this to uh, have Mina win, he turned that into Mina and Suzu. Oh my god, yeah, that would be fucking nuts, and it feels like oh good, dude, good like this to take her. This is the the fact, like the like stardom being so great, and the fact that like Sari just left WWE. Yeah, and, like, right. We don't know what shit what what the plans are. But the fact that she was flirting with Bushiroad before signing to mm-hmm. WWE makes me feel like that she would sign to Sardom. And you add Sari to this already insane all-time great roster, like, Jesus oh, fucking Christ, man. <laughs> no, I know. And like I said, like they've been having C-Hash on here as like a, a guest star or whatever, but who knows where that goes because she's been so goddamn good that like if they can get her to stay they should try to have her stay as much as they can because she brings something special and then yeah you have sorry like i'm sorry that's a dream match for me sorry and sea hash would be fucking crazy um yeah so yeah we'll see i'm not sure do we ever like i'm pretty sure isn't what happened like a few years ago like they're supposed to do sorry versus mayu and sorry versus mayu got canceled and that uh, was how, and that and that was how the Takumi Aroha stuff started happening. I think that you might be right, but you know, I do not quite remember it as well as you probably do. But that well, sounds pretty, about right. But I'm pretty sure there's supposed to be a Sari and Mayu match. Yes, and I don't I remember do that. Remember ma- that? Yeah. And I don't. And I don't think that ever happened. And I feel like it got turned into Mayu versus Takumi Aroha, which wound up being really good and some of the best stuff of that year. But yeah. I'm pretty sure. Sh- I'm pretty sure I remember Sari versus Mayu. At first, being booked, and then that turned into, into Sari um, being on the way to WWE. So there's some stuff there, and just like literally every Sari, it will come in and just be like a, such a fresh match for everybody, dude. Like, yeah, you know, like Sari versus Utami, Sari versus Julia, Tam, Sai Kamatani, Mina, Mayu, everybody. Like, you can do Sari in the tag division because she's been like Sari's been a really good tag wrestler at points too. Like, there is so much versatility there. So, still, this is all speculation because I don't really know what Sari's plan is. If she's going to go back to doing, like, the Dianas and Sendai girls and all that. But 
if the plan is to come back and wrestle in stardom, like the the rich keep getting richer. Yeah. I mean, they like you said, they were already teasing it, and like we've we've seen the way that like in Japan, if you like Thatcher, right? Like Thatcher couldn't get for over to Japan to save his fucking life, but even just being in NXT, like you're you can get a job in a bigger company in Japan just off of that. Like if you've ever been signed to WWE, like even if you didn't fucking go on the main roster at this point, yeah, like, like just they don't just really think mean, about that. Yeah, just to being able to say, hey, former WWE star X Y Z. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they'll like, sign you. So, yeah, they, they, yeah, that shit matters more in Japan than you think, at least for some of these companies. Right. I, I I was having a conversation with someone who kind of knows a little bit more about like the actual Japanese culture of the fandom and stuff, and they they did talk about how like the WWE fandom in Japan is like kind of siloed off from the other companies, but I think that they do. Yeah, like they do still put a lot of like weight behind that. Like if you've been in WWE, then that means like. One, like, you can be trusted, like, that you'll be a safe worker and you're not, like, just an indie sleazer who's not even fucking trained, right? Like, you're, you, you're, like, a competent actual professional wrestler. That's, like, number one. Okay, so you're worthwhile to bring over because it's not, like, someone who ha- hasn't been proven. And also, like, you're going to have some name value, some recognition, and some stardom. And, again, like you said, put it on a poster. Former WWE star, whatever. That's going to mean something to people, even if it's not, you know, whatever. It's the biggest company in the world. Like, it's going to affect even like stardom right fan people are going to know what that is so yeah definitely and i mean you could get we could still get sorry and monet so like there's also that yes yes sorry yes sorry and monet is like come on <laughs> like, this is so yeah. much man um this dpw show we don't have to review everything but just real quick did you did you end up watching it yeah yeah i watched i watched the okay show. like this was fucking great like i'm sorry like i I tweeted it out, but like when the whole conversation about the indies are dead, I'm like, what? This company has shown up. It's been around for like maybe two years. I can't even remember. And is like delivering this quality of program with their own stars that they've made. And like this level of production and all of that. Like, I'm sorry, the indies are not dead. Like you can, if someone can show up and in two years have created a company that's this good, and is drawing as well as it seems that they are and you know is profitable whatever like how can you say the indies are dead that's fucking crazy <laughs> like the indies are not dead like you can you can make something if you just do it right um but yeah i don't know if you have any thoughts about dpw overall big picture in that regard because technically uh, this is like the first show we're reviewing on the podcast uh no like, this is the first dpw show i've seen and like i think to the indies are dead conversation i feel like it's more like I don't know, at least if I say that, I'm not coming at it from like a health of the company's perspective. Like I'm think like I'm I guess I'm thinking of like who are the wrestlers that are like be or, or who are like getting viewed as like be, or like the best in the world caliber guys, like who are the guy who are the people going out there and having like whatever types of match of the year or borderline match of the year contenders everywhere they go. And it's like I think there's a difference between like a company being able to like go out there consistently draw and put on a good show versus like I guess like the hype generator stuff. And you can like sure. decide which one matters more, which one matters less, if like one should matter at all. But like I think that's the thing about the indies now is that we love Anthony Henry, we love Kevin Koo and Adam Priest and those guys, and like we regard them as like the best wrestlers in the world, but like 
it's just different than like say like the peak like than, than like the peak eras of like the AAWs and the PWGs and things like that where like those guys were feel like would be like more respected in those conversations and you can say maybe it's a regional bias thing you can say like they're not respecting southeastern wrestling if you want to say that like I don't know but it seems like the best guys on the indies aren't really getting the same type of like reverence or praise as like the wrestlers of the year or this was the match of the year as like how guys on the indies might have been getting praised four or five years ago yeah i can i can see that but i also think that like there is there's something to what i was even talking about earlier that not everybody's on twitter and you don't really even hear about all this stuff and this yeah. stuff can be so siloed off that like you don't even interact and see how many people are are buzzing and in, into this stuff really like just based on what I hear, and I don't have exact numbers, but I have an idea, but like based on what I hear from other podcasters, other journalists, media, whatever, who like talk about like, I'll just say like how many people they estimate at a show and how many people they estimate like subscribe to a streaming service. They would be really shocked if they knew the real numbers sometimes based on what I hear people say. Yeah, like, yeah. I feel that a lot of people undershoot it and think like, oh, this show looks like it has like 200 people. Then like I'll say I talk to the promoter or whatever, or look something up and find out it's like two, three times what people are trying to say they think are on a sh- are you know our fans are in the show or no, not for streaming sure. Service you know only has like there's no way this streaming service has this many people, and then you find out like no, they their subscribers blow those numbers out of the water. Like there really is a lot more going on that you may not even realize because mm-hmm. again, it's it's fans that aren't as vocal, you know. No, 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 for sure. I think that and I think that exists. But I think I, like that's what I was saying. Like I think there's a separation between like. I guess like the um, the critics or the pundits and things like that, and then like the business aspect. I feel like those sure. are like separate discussions, and why like the indies are dead, and like this and that, and this and this and that sucks is because like those things aren't necessarily the same thing. Like the like these promotions can draw, and like it's good that they that they can draw and people can make money wrestling in these promotions, but. Like, like I said, I think that like there's just a like a different level of like whether the wrestlers are worse or not good or you want to say, it, but like you know we've 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 talked about this before. It's like this is still something where I think people just aren't talking about those guys. Where like you know what, like we agree that like Anthony Henry might be the best wrestler in the world if you really sat there and thought about it on a match by match basis. Like right. it might be Anthony Henry, it might be Adam Priest, it might be Kevin Koo, and we and like. The people that we talk to would agree, but like on a general like mass level, like if we were to do like a I don't know, I'm just talking about that. If we were to do like a Voices of Wrestling like Wrestler of the Year poll, in like and like you know if they did it the same way where they like accepted um accepted um ballots from everywhere like they do for the for the match of the year, I just don't think that I'd be expecting to see Anthony Henry or Kevin Kuhar Adam Priest finish that high. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I think, yeah, I think, you know, there's a bigger conversation to be had about, like, not just, like, speaking out, but also, like, kind of the cancel culture purity test stuff as a whole, also kind of stratifying the communities in some ways, where, like, you talk about VOW, but, like, how many people kind of took the stance to say, like, I'm not going to involve myself in VOW stuff just because of, like, the ickiness of like right. even just Joe Lanza, right? So it's like, okay, well then what what 
part what section of the fan base is is not interacting with that stuff because of that and then so then their opinions don't show up on the on the polls and on the results or something like that right but you know what i'm saying saying? though it's it's also the closest thing to like the vw VW match of the year poll is also the closest thing that we have to something like this or like the grapple ratings for like one of the best matches of the year like even if people disagree or say that it skews towards new japan and aw which it might be true and it might be correct but like this is still like the only really like sources of these kind of like mass poll like of, of like just like mass polling that we have in the wrestling community and i just don't think that like when you do those things that i'm going to expect to see like the guys that we hype up as like the best uh u.s indie wrestlers to be well rep- to be well rep- to be well represented there You're muted, so I'm not sure if you were talking or not. I was. I was on mute, but I was saying, yeah, I definitely agree with you. Um, and that, like, I do think that part of it, though, is, like, the fan base is siloing off and it not feeling as much like just, like, one big community, uh, you know, of people talking about all the wrestling. That's another part of it, too, is there's just too much goddamn wrestling. So there's a lot less of the freaks who are watching everything, you know. Um, so there's people who just aren't seeing the stuff to make those comparisons. So that's another part of it, I think, as well. Um, either way, this DPW show uh, opening match, Drake and Priest, I thought was fantastic. Great, like kind of storytelling, playing off of their history with Drake getting injured in a match with Priest previously, and and just how great Adam Priest is here. I love the pre-match promo, just feeling like something completely different from Priest than even like the promos we see him doing in in action or SUP or on the IWTV show. Uh, the the what is it? uncharted territory show like just completely different promo style and yeah this was this was this was great i don't know if you have any thoughts yeah no nah, i saw uh some people some like some some people that we talked to like being really excited about this match and i thought it was, i thought it was very good is uh i like jackson drake and curious to see like how we how we get used in DP, dpw going forward but no nah, this was very very solid i wasn't like super blown away but it's one of those things that really showcased how good of a wrestler Adam Priest is for sure. Like yeah. the fact that he can be this guy at the top of the card. And you may think that like, oh, he's opening the show might not be that important, but like, this is a match where this is probably going to be a guy. Well, the Jackson Drake is probably going to be a guy that if he's healthy, that DPW has like pretty big plans for, and they're probably going to continue. They're going to continue this program and they're going to continue this feud. And th- this is going to be something that will, we used to elevate him to a high to a higher status. And no, there's just no one in indie wrestling who is better at that currently than Adam Priest. And Jackson Drake looked looks out as a up and coming young baby young baby face. I thought he had some fire here and a lot I thought his offense looked pretty crisp. So I I I, I was into it and just another reminder of how great Adam Priest is. Yeah. And he remind he kind of does remind me in some ways of like some of the younger or yeah, younger and like dojo student X uh WXW guys were like just tons of potential there and hitting some cool crisp stuff and, and really seeming like a pretty like fully formed package early on. Um three-way match, high end Jada Stone and Rachel Rose. Um obviously felt like kind of like a showcase for high end being thrown in there into what's like a feud between the other two. Um Jada Stone hit some really cool looking spots, like with some 
like acrobatics and stuff like that that were pretty neat. Uh, but, uh, you know, overall solid. And I like the post-match promo from Hyen setting up like uh, a title challenge with Amy, uh, Amy Sankara, which will be probably pretty good. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts. You know, I actually, I actually liked all, all, the, all the women in here. I was like, hadn't, uh, obviously I've seen Hyen, but hadn't seen um, the other the other two. I was really, really surprised at how much I liked, how much I liked all three of them uh, in this match. Not the best match, but just, in terms of the other two was, oh, these are really, really solid prospects. Like these are people that you should be keeping an eye on, should be paying attention to, and had, like could re- could be like really, really good one day. I thought. Yeah, yeah. This is kind of an interesting show, just because there's two three ways back to back, and then the best of three series after that is like almost feels like the mid card is like kind of this prolonged kind of story of weirdness to set up into the main event, which is like clearly the focus. Um, because yeah, then next we get Tankman. Kevin Knight, Myron Reed, um, a very similar thing as you just said with the with the women before this, like three guys that you should be paying attention to as like could be breakout stars really at any moment. Um, Myron Reed, it's taken a little bit longer, but he's really developing into I think a, a more well rounded wrestler. Uh, Tankman obviously felt like a supernova from the second I first saw him, even in a uh, you know Bizarro Lucha, um, and Kevin Knight, a guy who's yeah like you know was exposed to him from the PNW scene and Parm. And then saw him coming through the uh, through the lion or the New Japan Dojo in, in California, and then how he's now graduated and feels like next next big thing or whatever. And a good, really nice chemistry between all three. All of them suit their roles really well, playing really different parts. Even if you think like Knight and Reed are kind of similar, like I said, Reed is more more of the vet and more of like crafty. While Keith, uh, Kevin Knight is more of the you know pure pure athleticism of the rookie. Uh, I don't know what you thought here. Yeah, no, I, I, I really enjoyed. It. I thought this. I thought this triple that was super fun. Um, like I said, we've never really been the biggest Myron Reed guys, but he's great in situations like this, and I think that it really gets balanced out when you have Tankman, who both was like the smaller guys can uh can be can be balanced out with with his uh with his power stuff, and also Tankman being a really good base and seller himself. So I thought this was I thought this was really really fun. Yeah. Uh, this best of three series was very interesting on the way that the booking went. I thought definitely, I definitely liked the way they did it because it, it like, it was fresh and kind of exciting. Uh, open up with Andrew Everett and Adam Brooks. Um, and then to have the second match be like basically just a one move squash um, with Restbrook just getting murdered by uh, Cozone's Lariat and he's out. And then really the focus of the whole thing was the, uh, Lucky Ali and and Jay Malachi matchup being the whole thing. Um, it's just when BK Westbrook comes out for the for the fucking entrance, like this guy is a star. Like we kind of talked about it with the him and and uh, Eric Royal as a tag team, but yeah, I mean, I you know I heard the Southern guys talking about BK Westbrook and how good he was and stuff, and I didn't quite see it early on, but now it's just like to me, I'm just like, yeah, this guy, he's he's. You know, he may not be the most, you know, ready wrestler in the ring or whatever, but you can cover for that. And this guy just oozes charisma in a way that I think that, like, if someone was smart in booking, they would, like, latch on to him and, and kind of, you know, help to use this to get over. Because, like, God damn, like, he just, he leaps off the page to me. Like, the second I see him, he just, like I said, he just feels like a star act in the in the making, just ready to go. Um, yeah, like, if, if there was, like, uh sb kento type of prospect on the american indies i think it'd be bk westbrook yes like in terms of like now granted like i think sb kento is a better wrestler and like like you know and like that's not like that but that's not really the point here 
But if we're talking about like a guy that jumps off the screen and just screams like future champion of a company one day, like I feel like this is the closest thing the American Indies have to a guy like that currently. At least at least at least like a SB Kento, like this could be like your company's top heel type of guy. Like yeah, I think that I think that he uh definitely fills that void and is someone that I think like can do that, has all the potential in the world to do that. Like it's gonna be up to a company to uh give him that push, give him that uh give him that breathing room and room to fail and him stepping up to the plate and deserve it and deserving and earning those chances. But no, like I really see like him as like that guy where you just kinda let the wrestling develop. But everything else is there. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I have to agree with you. Is this felt like a lot of the? Yeah, it feels like we feel like very similar in that regard. Um, and then yeah, the main match with um Lucky Ali and and Jay Malachi. Um, just I just thought this was great. You know what it really reminded me of was the rivalry from the early freelance between Isaiah Velasquez and Prince Mustafa. Like these two to me just come across like in a very similar way where these two guys are like just this really, really great rivalry that they're building up in this indie company. That's like, I think going to put over the title, make it feel even bigger and like really grow and develop and become like this cool story to watch as it's happening. Like, and the commentary did such a great job. I mean, the whole show really Caprice was fucking phenomenal. Like Caprice Coleman is quickly becoming like my favorite commentator on in wrestling. Like, I mean, he's just so good. Um, and yeah, like the way that they helped tell the story throughout it as well, talking about the, the between them two and that uh, Malachi, like, Oh, he had the champion beat. He can, he knows that he can win the title. Like I just, it was fucking great. Like, yeah, I just, I absolutely adored those two against each other. Um, I don't know if you had any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I thought it was good. I didn't, I didn't think, um, I liked I liked it as much as you did, but this is my first time seeing Jay Malachi, and I thought that uh, I thought that he, I thought that he was really, he was really impressive here. So, like they had they, like DPW has some guys that like I haven't seen a ton of uh not not in this particular show, but like when you go through who's worked for them and things like that, the like guys that I haven't seen and things like that. So now that like we might be adding them into the rotation of shows of, of promotions that we cover, like. I'm excited to see what they do because between uh, Jada Stone and Rachel Rose and Jay Malachi here, like they're just like okay, like they have like some pretty solid talent that like maybe isn't like everywhere or getting like the biggest booking yet, but like it's like talent that's developing and they're developing a really like good homegrown their type of guy system there. Yeah, it's it's really fantastic that they're doing that, and they're you know. Even someone like uh, Andrew Everett, who like we've seen for a long time and has been all over the place, feels like he's really developing into a DPW guy, you know, and feeling like he's gotten to a really a breath of fresh air in his career based around this company, which is a good thing to do. Like taking a legend like that and have them feel like they're naturally yours. It's like the same thing that Terry Funk and ECW, like it was like he became like an ECW guy, you know, like even though he was a legend who had been around forever. Um, so it's like it's always a good thing to do as a company to to have even your even your veterans start to really feel like they're part of the fabric of the company. Um, main event tag team title match violence is forever work horsemen. Uh, Quentin, what did you think about this? I mean, what is there to say about like uh, 
big bloody cage match, right? Like this is um this is great in violent and the pace is great and they're on each other from the time the from the time the bell rings. Um I'll say this like blood gets you a long way in a wrestling match. But if I'm being totally honest, like I I didn't really get like super into the babyface selling performances from Koo or Dom. Like, not that they weren't good, but like I think I was kind of hoping to maybe get something that reeled me in a bit more from them. And I didn't get that. And I think it's hard to do that, especially like in a cage match like this and things like that. Like it's maybe it may be a little hard to do that, but like the intensity and the wildness and how good Anthony Henry and James and, uh, and JD Drake were uh, definitely like carried it, carried it through those spots. Now I really love that uh, where we're getting towards the end and uh, uh, tra- in, uh, gaining steam towards the end there. So I like it and I think it's really good. I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm like wrong here asking for too much, but despite the blood, I was kind of looking for more from Vonces forever and I don't think they gave me quite enough there, but I still thought it was a really good match. Yeah, I um, I maybe I liked it a bit more than you, but I also I had my issues as well, especially with the violence is forever side of things, as you just mentioned there, like um, and maybe in a different way. I think that you're right. And I think that some of the missing some of it can be the cage. I think that like you miss some of the subtle selling and those kind of aspects because of the cage obscuring the the view at like at times. And it, I think it, it can affect that kind of selling performance um, as well as like, yeah, like other things. I do think that, um, and that, I don't know. It just, I like violence is forever both getting color, but it does like, to me, I'm, I'm kind of like, well, like it just them, <laughs> you know, like one team getting all the color seems odd to me. Yeah. And then like, it did feel a bit like they kind of disappeared and got their asses kicked a bit too much. And like, maybe that also plays into basically a same kind of version of what you're saying there, which is that like, it fell flat to me that they were just getting their asses kicked a bunch and not really, maybe they weren't selling as well as they could have. And maybe like, I would have preferred that rather than do this and maybe fall down a bit on the selling that they had just gotten more offense um, so that it didn't feel as one-sided at times as it did. Um, but yeah, I mean, Workhorsemen, I thought were great. Uh, just absolutely felt like killers coming out of it. Um, and like, I liked the way that the story went. I liked the post match. I thought that it was kind of a neat way to do the story where it was basically just like, like, I think coming out of it, like from the beginning until the end, it was kind of like the Workhorsemen never respected violence is forever. Even after losing to them, they still are like, we're better than you. And that's why they still fucked them up after the match. Cause they're like, this is bullshit that you even won. You know, they don't even believe it or buy into it. So I kind of like that. I like that. It's like, even though this is a cage match and all of this and that, it feels like could it kind of should be the blow off. I think that we actually could end up with a better match where it's, it, it fixes some of the problems that we're talking about there where violence is forever is more dominant and actually like have to take the, the workhorsemen down to the level where like they can't even uh, question it anymore. And they can't think that they're better than them because violence is forever beats the shit out of them. So something where violence is forever is more dominant coming out of this, I think would be a positive. Um, 
But yeah, I don't know. The real question is, do you think this is better than the Young Bucks and the Lucha Brothers cage match? <laughs> I don't even... God, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, that was the match of the year, wasn't it? Um, either I mean, way. I mean, we, we, we didn't have it as match of the year, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. Either way. Um, yeah, this was, I thought, great show, as we talked about. You know, is it... Is it necessarily going to be show of the year or win any awards? Uh, probably not. Like, will anything on here be match of the year for me? Maybe not. It seems like, you know, uh, Joseph was really high on the tag match. So, you know, it could get some buzz around that. Um, but, I mean, otherwise, like, just again, like I talked about, DPW is just, to me, is is sign that the indies are strong. Because, like, you can't do something like this in, like, two years and actually have, like, a thriving indie that puts on a show of this quality if the scene is just completely dead i just it's just not possible so it just shows that like you have to be smart about what you're doing and and maybe try something fresh and like you know a lot of the pop off of that story came off of fucking drew cordero and it's like brother your indie is dead because you keep doing the same fucking thing for how many years like you got to freshen it up and this this just shows it like doing something different will stand out and actually get some fucking buzz yeah like because um, like so like some might some might say well like these guys are like three of the biggest wrestling YouTubers of the last like decade. Right. Which like is fine. Like that, like that, like that, like that part of that is true. But like at the end of the day, they still have to go out there and like build a product. Then clearly there is a lot of like wrestling knowledge and things like that, where they've done that. And they've like wanted to bring in women from Japan that like aren't the most super well-known and like trying to highlight the TJPWs and got some move and got some moves of the world. And like, and like going for their own talent that like, wasn't like being like super pushed heavily anywhere else that was important and like having their own veteran guys that you know were good but again like they made them their own like like say like in cases of like of like andrew andrew everett or colby carino and things like that so even with the fact that like they had they have like somewhat of an advantage if you could say of like being um ran by like three of like the most like prominent wrestling youtubers of the last decade like they still have to go out there and do the work. Yeah, and I've never seen a stitch of any of their other content, right? Like that's yeah, yeah. another part of it. Like I don't have any investment in this because of them. I don't I don't mm, care. Sure. Like I, so like yeah, I watch the product and I just I like this is a good wrestling show. Like that's what it comes down to for me. Yeah. No, I had um, a good time watching this. So like, you know, if you see DPW added to the rotation going forward like you know, I'm fine covering DPW more than covering fucking West Coast Pro. Like, that's, that's fine, with, <laughs> that's fine, sure. with, fine with me. <laughs> yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, Quentin, feel free, unless there's anything else you want to talk about, we can close it out for the evening. Uh, No, I think I'm good. You can follow uh, me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody. You can follow Tim at ROH Dutch. You can follow the podcast network. My cat just scared the shit out of me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, uh, I can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN and if you're feeling so kind to donate to us on coffee and uh, I don't know, fund my trip to go watch every uh, every Boston Celtics uh, home game during the playoffs uh, if you want if you want to do that then that'd be great but otherwise thank you all for listening I hope you're here next time Yeah.
doing is totally cool. You, 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 you. What about you? you. I'm totally cool. What about you? <laughs> Whatever you do, that's cool. But dude, it's so cool. I swear to God, that's true. Shout to Bjork, shout to Gandhi too. Big baby Gandhi and the real Gandhi too. Shout to Noriega, Noriega. the real Noriega. Plus the rapper Noriega. Shout to Rick Ross, Rick the real Rick Ross. Plus the rapper Rick Ross. Shout out to Freeway. Two words, cool. cool. Red Alert and the late Guru Peace to Ad-Rock, we ate Japanese food One time and it was cool, it was totally cool Peace to Prince Paul, man, he's totally cool I ate Japanese food with him too, it was cool Peace to Boots from the cool, cool too Everybody cool, I swear to God that's true Man, I'm so cool, thinking that maybe you know And if you didn't know now, you know it's cool, cool. Yo, you know what's cool? What? Me, I'm cool, cool. I'm so cool, cool. me, me, me cool. Cool, 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 so fucking cool. See that I'm cool, know that I'm cool Please understand that I'm cool, that's the only thing I want you to do Do whatever you want, but understand that I'm cool Understand that I'm the man and I'm cool Damn, I'm cool, wherever I am is so cool Y'all, look at my hand, it's so cool I bet you two grand that I'm cool In high school I was the man and now I'm still the man too For real, your man cool, your man hella cool Fucking cool and that's true, dude I'm hella cool Shut the fuck up, I'm so cool I swear up and down, I'm so cool And you should probably consider that I'm cool Cool, That's true You, true. you, 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 cool, yeah, cool Me, 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 me Me, 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 me Me, 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 me Oh shit, me, me Me, 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 me Oh shit Cool. Oh, what the fuck, I'm so cool Holy shit, shit. fuck, fuck, bitch, I'm cool bitch. Shut up, fuck, Shut bitch, up. bitch, oh cool Shit, 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 shit. I'm cool. Cool, cool, cool Oh my god, what the fuck, what shit, the fuck? I'm cool Holy cool. Shit. shit, oh my god, I'm so cool, cool. What the fuck, I'm fuck. so cool Oh shit, bitch, I'm cool Bitch, bitch I'm so cool, oh my god, I'm so cool Shit, shit. bitch, fuck, shit, fuck. shit, I'm cool Oh my god, shit, shit I'm so fuck. cool Shit, I'm so cool. Oh my god. Oh, what the fuck? I'm so cool. Shit. Bitch, what the fuck? I'm so cool. Shit, shit, what the fuck? I'm fuck. so cool. Bitch, shit. Oh my god, what the fuck? I'm cool. so cool. Fuck, shit. I'm so cool. cool. Shit, fuck. Cool, cool.